Well, if you will please turn in uh, your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. If you're visiting with us or if this is your first New Year's with us, uh, I like to do things a little different on the first Sunday of the year, uh, and that's a bit of a New Year's kind of sermon. Uh, We believe in expository preaching here where we take a passage from God's Word and we walk through it, and what I preach is what's there. This is more of a topical sermon. Uh, So next week, we will begin, Lord willing, our series on Genesis 1 through 11. Uh, But today, I want to talk about a very unique um, season that we find ourselves in, in the American church. Uh, We have a a large group of people that are leaving the church on a weekly basis across our nation. So we're going to look at that and see what we can do about it as God's people. So, as you're able, if you'll please stand for the reading of God's Word from Romans chapter 10. We're picking up in verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. The person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or, Who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all bestowing His riches on all who call upon Him. For whoever, excuse me, for every, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news! But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we pray now as we look at your word, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, work mightily in our hearts. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Paul begins chapter 10. We didn't read this verse, but let me refer you to it. In verse 1, he's going to pull back the curtains of his heart for his ethnic people, the Jews. And in verse 1, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. In fact, his zeal for their conversion is so strong that In a chapter previous, in 9, verse 3, he actually says, For uh, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What could cause Paul to feel so strongly that he would rather be accursed if they would be converted? It's because the acceptance of Christ means salvation, eternal life. Redemption, forgiveness, and heaven. And the flip side is also true. The rejection of Christ means being under the wrath and curse 
of God, both in this life and the next, in hell. Believing the gospel or not has eternal consequences. And Paul lived in a unique moment in history, a time of great transition, in which the claims of Christ were new on the scene and the ethnic people of God from the Old Testament were at a crossroads. Would they accept Jesus as the Messiah or not? Would they be saved or not? Their reaction would set the trajectory not just for their lives, but for the lives of their children and for generations to come. And so he felt so strongly, was burdened so greatly that they might come to know Christ. So we talk about some, some statistics this morning. We realize that we are in a unique moment in American history, which I'm going to explain in a minute. But while some of these statistics are are discouraging, the overwhelming response that I want us to have is not discouragement. Rather, to respond the same way Paul did, with a great zeal for those who don't know the Lord, a great burden, an intolerable burden, to see people return back to Christ. You know, while our moment in history is different than Paul's, the stakes are the same though ethnicity may not be directly tied to it. Rather, America is going through the largest religious transition in its history. Did you know that? Right now, America is going through the largest religious transition in its entire history. Our, nation is an, our history as a nation has been deeply impacted by great seasons of revival and renewal. The First Great Awakening in the 1730s and 40s. The Second Great Awakening at the turn of the 1800s. Did you know that the four decades after the Civil War were a a very fertile time for the gospel to go forward? These things transformed the religious landscape in our country and made us into a nation that was defined by widespread church attendance and love for Christ. Later, movements like the Billy Graham Crusades in the second half of the 20th century saw the rapid growth of the American evangelical church. But now, things are a bit different. According to a book entitled The Great Dechurching, over the last 25 years, listen to this very carefully, over the last 25 years, 40 million Americans have left the church. In the last 25 years, 40 million Americans have left the church. That's 16% of the population. Not of those who are going to church, but of the population. That's eight times the population of our state. That is actually the exact population of California. Now think about this. It is estimated by the year 2050, 35 million youth raised in families that call themselves Christians will no longer call themselves Christians. Over a million youth each year are expected to leave the church. According to the Barna Group, one-third of American evangelicals simply walked out of church after the COVID pandemic. A third. Some have returned, but many have not. 
Let me say this very quickly again. 40 million have left the last 25 years. A million youth are expected to leave a year for the next three decades. To put this into context, more people have left the church in the last 25 years than were converted in the First Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, and the Billy Graham Crusades combined. We are living through the largest religious transition in our nation's history. Sociologists call those who have left the church de-churched. They have de-churched. They are the de-churched. They are de-churching. Specifically, someone who is de-churched is someone who attends church less than once a year. Less than once a year. Which is what? Zero? I know. I kept... I read that like ten times. No, I went point five times this last year. I left before the sermon came. Uh, <laughs> Um, I think that's what happens when the preacher actually doesn't show up. Um, But then you add to that all those who would come once, twice a year. And we know in in rural Alabama, South Alabama, that's a lot of people. You know, might come for Christmas and Easter. If the the survey folks ask you, hey, have you been to church in the last year? Yeah, I went on Christmas Eve. That doesn't count for the 40 million statistics. Which means the 40 million statistic, if you add the functionally de-churched on top of that, there's no telling. Okay? Now, let's be super clear that church attendance doesn't mean you're a Christian. Uh, in fact, if you're not a Christian and you're here, I'm so thankful you're here. Please, come find me afterwards. Uh, I'll buy you a meal. I'll, I'll get you coffee. Let's sit and talk. Um, you can be in McDonald's and it doesn't make you a French fry. You can be in a garage and it doesn't make you a car. Right. But in terms of measuring things, the best metric for sociologists to study these things is church attendance. It's hard to overestimate the impact this will have on America. It's hard to overestimate it. Um, and we could talk a lot about culture, and I'll talk very briefly about it in a minute. But that's not our focus right now. Our focus is on the eternal destinies of our families, our friends, and our children. You know, as the apostles planted churches all over the known world in the first generation, they did so because God's people are a corporate people. When they went into a town, they didn't just seek to convert people. They would, they would seek people's conversion so that a church might be established in that community. We are saved individually. Excuse me. We're saved as individuals, but not individually. That's borne out in our text this morning. We're saved as individuals. Look at 9 through 11. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. The faith of our parents is so important to growing up and hearing the gospel, but, but we have to appropriate that faith. We have to make it our own. Our parents' faith will not save us. We individually have to call on the name of the Lord. And God is in the business of saving people who need saving. Isn't that good news? Uh, he's not just in, you know, in the business of saving nice people who just need a little help. Uh, the, the youth and I started looking at 1 Corinthians this morning in our, Bible, our Sunday school time. I tell you, those Corinthians are some bad folks. And God saved them. And so are we. And God saved us. 
Surely I get an amen for that, right? Um, but here's the thing. God saves us as individuals, but not individually. There's no such thing as a lone wolf Christian. There's no such thing as a lone wolf Christian. Hebrews 10, 24-25 tells us, And let us consider how to stir up one another and to love good works, to, uh, sorry, to another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, coming together as God's people is crucial because it is the primary way in which we grow as Christians. The primary way in which we grow as Christians is together. You've heard the old um, anecdote of if you, if you have coals in a fire and you take one and you put it to the side, right? what happens to that coal? It, it grows dim and it loses its heat. We need each other. We need those, there are 70, there are a whole bunch, dozens of the one another passages in the New Testament. And, and did you know that in each one of those you actually have to be together in, in order to do the one anothering? We need each other. Uh, this is how, uh, one of the main ways in which we pass the faith down to the next generation is by doing church together. When, when, it one, when one generation detaches from being part of the covenant people of God, it virtually ensures that the next generation won't have any connection to the church whatsoever. Now, God can do whatever He wants. But when one generation de- de- detaches from the church... It pretty much guarantees the next generation won't have any connection to it. Preaching of the Word is the primary means by which God brings sinners to salvation and grows believers in His grace. It's the primary means. It's the Word of God. But do you know the generation that's leaving the church the fastest? This was staggering to me. You know, the young folks get all the blame. Uh, did you know that baby boomers are leaving the church two times faster than millennials? And that's a little bit skewed. So you have to be in the church in order to leave it. <laughs> there are fewer millennials in church, and so there are fewer to leave. But I was stacked two times faster than millennials. Think about the impact this will have on children and grandchildren. You have children and grandchildren who go from being de-churched to unchurched in one generation. The biggest impact of the great de-churching of America is that fewer people are hearing the gospel. That's what it comes down to. Fewer people are hearing the gospel. And you must hear the gospel. We just read this. Um, verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Verse 14 puts this problem into an eternal perspective. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how do they believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? There are other long-term ramifications for our culture as individuals leave the church. Perhaps one of the most impactful in the near term is the continued and accelerating departure from the Bible's very clear teaching on human sexuality and gender. But then you throw in things like the health of the family and of marriages, the raising of boys to be men and the like. Just even functionally, there will be fewer dollars to go to charities as well. Did you know that uh, those who identify as religious 
uh, are uh, 50% more likely to give than those who identify as secular. 91% of those who identify as religious uh, give to nonprofits, where only 66% of those who identify as secular. This will then in turn change the role of government. There will be fewer dollars to help those in need, both in the church and in our community. You know, increasingly, Christians in America will have fewer seats at the table for policy and power, and will be on the margins. But here's the thing. That's how it's always been. If you look worldwide, if you look at our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, this is how it usually is. We are called to live as exiles. We are exiles living this side of heaven. And increasingly, the American church will need to um, embrace that mentality. But is the response despair? It will be hard at times as the landscape changes to fight despair, especially as culture changes, especially as there's less and less pushback against certain laws that are made. But we're not people of despair. Christ is the light of the world. The light has come into the world, and the, world has, and the darkness has not overcome it, nor will it ever. The kingdom of Christ will continue. People will come to know the Lord Jesus. Families will be transformed. Strongholds of Satan will be broken. There will be renewal in our hearts. Eternal destinies will be changed. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. Rather than bemoaning, and y'all, when you turn on the news, what's your heart do? It groans. It's like Romans 8. Romans 8, you know, we groan. And it'll be easy to groan and bemoan. And maybe one of the healthiest things we can do is turn off Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, Drudge Report, whatever, whatever flavor you follow. Seriously, that might be the best thing for us. Because Jesus is on the throne. And instead of being driven to despair, I think we can learn a lot from Paul. What was his response? It was zeal. And it was action. And it was prayer. And it was evangelism. Do you know what's stronger than bad news? Jesus. All day, every day. You can take that one to the bank. You know what's stronger than the culture changing? It's the kingdom of God. Do you know who can take dead people and make them alive? Our Lord. He did it to you. As we were talking about the Corinthian church this morning in youth, y'all, those were some bad folks. Go read the commentaries about some of that. And then Paul writes this letter to the, to the saints to the church of God in Corinth. You mean there's a church in Corinth? Are you kidding me? Those who are being sanctified and called to be saints. And that's what our life will increasingly look like. The question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? We live in this cultural moment. And because we're in a season of transition, we're going to go late, I'm sorry. 
Uh, actually, I'm not. Uh, we live in this moment in, the Mer- in American history, this time of transition, in which these folks who have left the church, have de-churched, they're still willing to go to church. We're going to talk about that in just a second. That's going to change. As the de-churched give way to the unchurched, their attitudes about going to church will change. Right now, there is this disconnect between belief and behavior where so many who have left the church say they know they should go and yet aren't. But that's going to begin to change as people will no longer even feel a desire to ever think about going to church. That will make it all the harder. So that means right now, right now, there's low-hanging fruit in our culture. There's low-hanging fruit in our community, people that you know. And we need to strike while the iron is hot. For such a time as this, for such a time as this, God has raised up His church. He has raised up you. And He has put people in your life who need to hear the good news, who need to see that you have beautiful feet. Do you know the most effective people and inviting folks to church. Do you know who that is? It's not the preacher. I can tell you, I've invited certainly over 100 people in my 10 years here to church. Folks I've met in the community, you know, Walmart, you know. And you know when they hear I'm a preacher, they say, I'll be there. Uh Uh-uh, they're not going to be there. They're just lying, just lying straight to their teeth. That's right. Because preachers are supposed to do that. That's what they're paid to do. Uh, I can invite folks to church until I'm blue in my teeth. Blue. Face. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. Uh, Blue in the face. Uh, But the most effective people to bring them back to church are, that's you. That's you. You know, I actually went through the rolls this week because I was preparing for this. And I started writing on the edge of the margins on, in the church directory the people who have come to the church in the last 10 years that I, that I know and who, the names of the people who invited them. And in only a few cases did somebody find us online or something like that. The overwhelming vast majority, I could tell you exactly who invited that person to church. What would happen if we actually started inviting folks back? You know, there are actually some rather... In- good gems, and the dismal statistics. Let's talk about two groups that have left the church that are low-hanging fruit. Now, people leave the church for a whole host of reasons, whole host of reasons. Uh, And we're going to talk about some of those specifics on Wednesday nights. I have graphs and charts and all those exciting things. Uh, But I just want to highlight two groups. The first are people who are called cultural Christians. This is the largest group of people who have left the church. Uh, it's a really rather complex group. Uh, sociologists call people cultural Christians, um, and what they mean by that is that the overwhelming majority aren't actually Christians. They're the people in McDonald's but aren't French fries, right? They are people who have grown up in the church, uh, perhaps with their parents, and then stuck around for a little bit, and then sports got in the way or a move to a new town uh, or uh, because they got out of the habit or because their friends stopped coming uh, cultural Christians largely of the church because it is no longer convenient. And this group especially left the church in droves after COVID. That was a real breaking moment for many. 
You know, the souls of children in the cultural Christian group are especially in danger. Especially in danger. Because if their parents aren't believers, the only place they were hearing the gospel was when they occasionally came to church. And now that their, their parents may not be believers uh, and they're not in church at all, now they've stopped hearing the gospel. Which means, remember that one generation from de-churched to unchurched. Um, but there's actually really good news here. There's really good news. Uh, survey says uh, 51% of people in this category are actively willing to go back to church. In fact, this 51% thinks at some point they will go back to church. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. They still see some value in church attendance even though they aren't attending. This means that there are a lot of people who have left the church who probably aren't Christians who are, opening, who are open to returning. That means you don't have to convince them that church is a good thing. There'll be others you have to convince but not with this group. Can you think of anyone in your life that fits this category? I know, I know you can. I know you can. If 40 million people have left in the last 25 years, and I know you know people in this category, I want to encourage you to pray for these people. I mean really pray. Put a sticky note on your dash. Set an alarm on your phone every day at the same time. Fast for them. Is the soul of your neighbor worth you missing a meal? so that you can pray. The thing about this group, though, is that their entry back into the church will likely, rather than be than just the first invitation to church, rather that the entry point back to the church for this group is probably first an invitation to your supper table, to a place of belonging, especially when there's been hurt from a church especially when there have been all sorts of previous experiences at church, getting to know someone. You know, a lasagna, a Walmart lasagna feeds 12 people, and it costs $13. Go buy one and put it in your freezer. Uh, That way you can feed 12 people, not even have to worry about it. What an opportunity to share, to break bread with those who don't know the Lord. The other group, though, low-hanging fruit group, or those who are classified as mainstream evangelicals. Now, I don't mean mainline denominations. Those are two different categories. Mainline denominations, what I mean by that, are the very liberal, uh, theologically, theologically liberal denominations. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. These are mainstream evangelicals. These are uh, folks who would describe themselves as conservative theologically, who when you ask about things like the Trinity and um, uh, the authority of God's Word, uh, they, they still say good things. They have good answers. There's still that theological basis. Many of the folks in the mainstream evangelicals who have left are actually believers and have disconnected from God's church for one reason or another. There are all sorts of reasons why this group has left the church. 15%, this was low, I thought it would be higher. 15% said it was because of COVID. I thought that would be a lot higher. 16% said it was inconvenient. The biggest reason, though, one in five, one in five, 22% said they left the church because they moved to a new community and hadn't found a church yet. <laughs> Sociologists and others said that the most dangerous thing you can do as a Christian is to move. <laughs> uh, so be careful. Don't move. Uh, so are there people in your neighborhood 
Do you know people in town that have moved? Many people are, are, are looking for an invitation to church. Now, here's the thing. Where 51% of the other group said they were actively willing, this is staggering. 100% in this group said they're willing to come back to church. Now, I mean, if, if we take three quarters of that, it's still pretty staggering. Whom do you know in this group? Those whom you say actually know the Lord and yet have drifted away from His church? All they need is a little nudge. So the question is, will your feet be beautiful? Will your feet be beautiful? You can pay Lindsay Lynn or her mother-in-law, Jackie Lynn, 40 to 50 bucks to have your feet beautified. You get a pedicure, right? I'm here to tell you that there's something cheaper with a much greater eternal impact. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The situation is complex in America. Though we've spoken of statistics and different kinds of people, people are not statistics. They're people with eternal souls. And the good news, the good news, is that while the problem is complex, the answer is rather simple. It's Jesus. That as things get complex socially, as as we try to figure this thing out, Jesus really is the answer. That we all are in need of His saving grace. Increasingly, Christianity alone is going to stand out in our culture as providing answers to the greatest problems like meaning and purpose and justice and mercy, significance. And what do we do with all the bad stuff we've done? The wages of sin is death, that's hell. But there's a free gift that we can offer called eternal life, and it's found in Christ alone. So, if you will, as we land this plane, take out your uh, insert from your bulletin. You'll take out the insert of your bulletin and turn to the back of the announcements on the sermon notes page. You'll find a graphic at the top. Uh, and uh, you can either fill it out and, or just tuck it in your, in your Bible or you can tear it off if it's too big. Um, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to pray about, first, don't fill it out now, but pray about two people or families that you can invite either to supper at your house first and or to church. You know, if we think about numbers, I think Earl said we had about 70 families-ish. Is that about right? So if half of us actually did it, uh, and then 10% of those people had successful invitations, you'll get three to four families in the church. That's, a, that's actually a lot. That's right. And actually, new believers are most effective in bringing new believers to Christ. So, there are many sitting in this room because you've been invited to this church. Let's see what the Lord's going to do by inviting a bunch more people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the kingdom is coming and will come. We pray for Christ's return. Until then, Lord, grow your church and grow First Pres. Grow First Baptist next door. First Methodist up the street and Cornerstone across the street. All those who proclaim the name of Jesus, Lord, that there might be more worshipers of your name. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.